I love that song. Remember the first time I heard that song, it came up, came up randomly on my Pandora station, and my mind instantly went to this summer and the rest of this year where our church is focusing on spiritual disciplines. We know that spiritual disciplines, they don't have any power in the actual act themselves. But by practicing spiritual disciplines, we're simply putting our, ourselves in a place for God to better use us and to hear his voice. Said differently, practicing spiritual disciplines help us make room for God to do whatever he wants to do in our lives. I love how we looked through and Craig took us through the spiritual discipline of hospitality and how we looked at different characters throughout the Bible and we saw how God used their hospitality to advance his mission. We then went through a series on serving and my favorite quote from that whole sermon series was just the simple fact of that how God uses people when they serve others helps others see Jesus. And serving and hospitality are more like corporate spiritual disciplines, right? They don't just affect us, but they affect others as well. And starting today, we're shifting a little bit from those corporate disciplines to ones that are a little bit more personal, just between you and your relationship with the Father. Disciplines such as prayer, meditation, memorization of scripture, etc. And today we're just going to spend one Sunday morning looking at one discipline that, in my opinion, is the easiest to skip over. It's extremely countercultural to the age in which we live and also the place in which we live here in America. And that's the spiritual discipline of fasting. Now, before you doze off, and certainly before you start thinking about what you're going to have for lunch, hang in here with me, and let's, let's have a conversation about this spiritual discipline. And before we begin, I want to address those in the crowd today, or maybe those watching online, who honestly might not be a sold-out Christ follower yet, or maybe is new to the faith. Fasting, and to be clear, this is forgoing of food for spiritual purposes. It's kind of weird, okay, if we're honest about it. And even for Christians, the, just the whole concept is kind of weird. Unless you know the one from which the power comes from. Because we believe that Jesus was more than just a good person. We believe that he really was the son of God. Sent down by God to live a perfect life and to die an unjust death so that we could have unjust life and live with him in heaven forever. And so as Christians, yeah, we're commanded in the Bible to do certain things and such, but these spiritual disciplines, we don't do them because we think we're better than non-Christians. We don't do them because we think that by practicing them, we're earning some type of rank or standing, like in the Boy Scouts, how you do certain things and you achieve a certain rank to go higher and higher. We practice spiritual disciplines because Jesus did it. And as Christians, right, Christ followers, Christ people, 
we're called not just to follow Jesus as in he is our guide. We're seeing him and we're following him in that way. But we're called to follow him as in imitating God as, or Jesus as our example. Now, there are tons of passages in scriptures that talk about fasting, deal with corporate fasting, personal fasting, all throughout the Bible. And in fact, in some places, it doesn't even say like, hey, you should fast. It just says when you fast, (laughs) assuming that fasting is just a normal part of the Christian life. But today, it seems so countercultural. And it wasn't always like that. I mean, for thousands of years, probably, in human history, there's this hunter-warrior-gatherer way of life where, you know, in the winter when there's not crops or other um, vegetables to eat, I mean, if the the hunters don't come back with the game, you know, with the deer or something that night, I mean, you, you didn't eat. You know, you had to go a day without food. And even as technology progressed and we were able to store food and such, it was still very based upon, you know, what the available crop was. So, not only, well, even when food was available every day, that we, didn't, we certainly didn't have the variety that we have today. And everywhere we look, it seems like there's that instant gratification available to us. And it's not just the instant gratification of hunger, right? Where you go down the street and you see eight different types of fast food restaurants that are relatively affordable for basically anybody. But we have the opportunity to satisfy any cravings or instincts that we have, especially with Amazon Prime two-day shipping. And I, I see this a lot in my, my kids too. I mean, we, we might be late for lunch and just postpone a meal for an hour or two and they act like they are going to die. I mean, if they, they act like if they don't get food in their stomach within the next five seconds, they are going to pass out and die. And I try to make this like some type of a learning opportunity. I sit them down and say, yeah, you feel that hunger? Like that pain where your body says you need something? We're gonna eat soon. You don't have to, you know, postpone it for too long, but it's okay and oftentimes good to be able to have your will and your spirit to tell your physical craving no. This conversation never seemed to help, but... (laughs) I'm I'm trying. Honestly, I I don't feel like I know a ton about fasting. I've tried it and I've made it a regular part of my spiritual disciplines, but it seems like the more I fast, the less I understand how it works, but the more I'm convinced that it does work. And there's just this, this sharpness to fasting, and maybe because of how strictly it's tied to a very real feeling physically in your body, but that sharpness makes it so effective. I'm not saying fasting's better than other spiritual disciplines, but anyone who's done it, you know that there's something different about it and how effective it is in making room for God to do whatever he wants to do in your life. So in the end, it honestly becomes the discipline that I look forward to the least, but that I benefit from the most. Now we're gonna go through just one scripture that I 
think is probably the most extreme example from fasting. And we're going to see what the Lord has to say through us, uh, to us through it. It's in Matthew 4. We're going to have it up on the screen as well. But if you would pull out your Bibles or your phones and pull up Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. We're going to start by reading the whole passage together, and you can just follow along as I read it aloud. And then we're going to dive in verse by verse. So this is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in his hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Father, we pray that this morning, as, as we look into a discipline that is a little hard to talk about even, we pray that you do whatever you want to do in our lives. Lord, Holy Spirit, come and work. In your name we pray, amen. So jumping into verse one, it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And let's just know, if you zoom out and you're looking in your Bibles real quick, the positioning of this passage, this is right after Jesus was baptized, okay? And then if you look at the heading, at least this is what the NIV says the heading is after this, is that Jesus begins to preach, so for whatever reason, it says that the Spirit led Jesus out to this, what most likely seems to be a way to prepare him for the ministry ahead. Looking at verse 2, <laughs> this catches me every time. It says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. No duh. <laughs> Just to be clear, this isn't intermittent fasting. This isn't even some long fastings like we see in the Islamic faith in the month of Ramadan. It's common for the Muslims to fast all day before the sun comes up or during while the sun comes up until it goes down and then at night they eat. No, it's clear that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights without food. Just let that sink in a minute because I don't know about you, but I skip one meal and I'm not just hungry, I'm hangry. 
And it's here where we see the first benefit, if you want to call it a benefit, that stands out so much in fasting. And that is through fasting, your sinfulness is revealed. And you just see how weak you are. I mean, I think if I'm going to go through the trouble of, you know, praying and fasting, then I've got my to-do list of things I'm going to pray for, right? I'm going to make it count. But every time I start that fast, whether it's a half a day or a full day or even more than a full day, I just feel this overwhelming conviction of the Lord saying, no, you've got some crap to deal with in your heart first. And it's rough, You feel that and then you start bringing your sins up to the Lord and handing them over to him. Your anger, lust, pride, just one by one. And then finally, you feel that new sense of conviction where you feel God saying, okay, now we're ready. Remember my dad called me and uh, he referenced this article that he saw online and it read something like, scientists show or prove that for the average human being, 40 days is the maximum amount of time someone can go without food before doing permanent damage to your body. And we started kind of laughing about this because it's like, yeah, we already knew that. I mean, we know Jesus couldn't have done intentional permanent damage to his body or that would have been a sin. And can't we also assume that if Jesus is gonna do a long fast before his ministry, that he's gonna do the max? (laughs) And it's like, okay, yeah, we already knew that. We've known it for 2,000 years. And it was recorded in the most popular book ever written in all human history. But it's interesting. Now, apparently, we have the scientists to prove it that it is at this point where Jesus is literally at the point that if he goes a day longer without eating, that he will start to die. And it is at this extreme point that we read in verse three, where it says, the tempter came. It was a week ago Saturday when I was kind of just rereading this passage over and over again. And it just started to sink in almost to the point where like I got scared realizing that how devilishly cunning and evil Satan is. We don't know necessarily what happened in between day one to 39 of his fast. It seems like this text just picks it up at the 40th day. But I'm guessing that Satan didn't tempt him during those first few days. Like he was just lurking in the background, waiting patiently for Jesus to be at his absolute weakest moment before he tried to make him fall. And if you needed that gut check this morning, let's remember that it's the same Satan that tempted Jesus that tempts us. And I don't think he's motivated to be any nicer to us. Verse three continues, and Satan says, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So he begins by tempting Jesus with food, right? He's about, he's at the point of death, essentially, or starting to die. And so food probably is going to sound pretty good. But he's also, he's not just 
tempting him with food, he's questioning his authority by saying, if you are the son of God. Now, this is the same heavenly authority that if we looked at this passage, it was just declared on him in his baptism. At the end of chapter three in Matthew, it says, a voice came down from heaven and said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Satan's essentially saying, oh, God said you were a son. Let's see if that's really true. Let's see how Jesus responds. So in verse four, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus doesn't fall to this temptation. He responds with scripture, quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. And his response models a clear application for how fasting should work in our lives too. And that is fasting shifts our dependency on food and other physical satisfactions with the dependency on God in his word. Now, there could be a whole nother sermon preached using this passage on the spiritual discipline of scripture memorization, right? And how important it is. Remember that Jesus was fully God, but it's not like he was born and he instantly knew all of scripture. No, he was fully man too. He had to study. He had to learn. He had to sit down with his flashcards or whatever they used at that time and go over and memorize scripture, and in this example, Jesus is living out what we read in Psalm 119.11, where it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it just makes me wonder how this story would have gone if Jesus didn't know his scripture. So not working, Satan goes to the next thing. In verse five, it says, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Verse six, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan's tactics <laughs> turn to disturbing to say the least. He's again questioning his authority by saying, if you are the son of God, poking that button again. But this time Satan thinks, okay, I see what you're doing here. And Satan knows scripture too. And Satan takes the holy word of God and twists it to try to make Jesus fall. Jesus answered him in verse seven. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. Jesus essentially saying, I see you're playing dirty. You, I will not let you mangle scripture to be used in a way it was not meant to be used. We've moved on from just the temptation of food now. Satan is again questioning his authority. And I just believe that this shows how fasting is not just training you to resist the physical urge of food, but it's a training ground to resist all kinds of temptations. It's like a football player in the weight room. I mean, the goal of working out every day isn't just to be able to lift more weights, but it's 
to build up the strength to use it on the field when you need it the most. So over time, as you're fasting and you're practicing this discipline, you're building that muscle and training yourself to say no, not just to hunger, but you're training your heart and your spirit to say no to anger, to lust, to gossip, or anything else that might be coming up and want to come out of you. And as Christians, we're to say no. Verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now it's here where Satan's real motive is shown. It's not just to get Jesus to fall, but it's to gain more authority for himself than he was given. And this isn't new, right? We read elsewhere in scripture of how Satan was cast down from heaven on account of his pride in wanting himself to be above others. Jesus responds in verse 10 and he says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, a scripture from Deuteronomy 6. It's easy for me to write off this temptation of like, yeah, of course, you know, Jesus isn't gonna bow down to Satan. But maybe the temptation was a little bit harder than I, one would think. Think about all the attention that is given to Satan and the evils of this world. And if Jesus was to come down to try to uh, train up his followers and to preach and have people look to him, unless Satan's lying, he's saying all that attention that is on me, I will give to you. But if Satan's motive was shown in the verse before, Jesus' motive is revealed in this verse. Jesus wasn't fasting to gain the world. Jesus was fasting for God. And this is how, what our motive is too. There's something deeply impactful about the spiritual discipline of fasting. And when people ask me, you know, how was it, you know, going without food for a certain amount of days? And they say, it was terrible. You should totally try it. <laughs> it's true. And anyone who's fasting, you, you understand that. But I want you to know, it's not just this like super spiritual thing. And you don't have to like, uh, you know, accomplish A, B, or C, or understand a certain amount of things before you start doing it. It's not a preacher thing. It's not just for someone sitting up on stage. It's for all of us. And before we finish, I want to show a quick video about, from a few other church members and hear their reflections on their experience with fasting and see how it has changed them by making it just a regular habit in their life. So let's watch this video now. God has taught me about himself um, how patient and how loving he is. He wants to know my heart and my desire, and I don't have to even speak during my quiet time in my fasting because he already knows what I can't say or what I want to say, but maybe don't feel comfortable to say out loud, or I have children in the other room listening. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those intimate things, but he's gracious and he's loving and he gives 
and gives and gives every time I go to him to fast with fasting. The first Wednesday of every month, we have a prayer service here at LCC. And uh, we invite people to uh, join us in the evening for prayer. And we also invite people to participate in a fasting throughout the day in preparations for that prayer service. And in full transparency, there are times where I've fasted. And then there's also times where uh, I didn't fast. And I can definitely t tell a difference between the days that I fasted versus non-fasting. And what I mean by that, like a, norm a normal non-fasting day, you can start your day off in prayer and you can get into the God's word before you start your day. But once I get into work mode, my energy and my focus is on work and, and giving my all to my employer and whatever is needed from me. And then when you um, come to church after work, I spend the first few moments transitioning into this mode of uh, where I, I, I ask God to uh, take over and I, my focus is on God versus a day where I've fasted, I'm in that mode all day long, right? So you're, you're in that mode of in prayer and in scripture, and um, you're reminded all throughout the day through fasting um, to be relying on him. And then when I get to the prayer experience service, um, I'm in that mode and I just feel definitely closer to the Lord and just more open to what his will really is. Um, I've learned that I can do it, that it's hard. I've learned that Satan doesn't want us to fast and he will throw anything at you um, to distract, even the hunger growls and pangs. And I can do it simply because I, I hear his voice. I've learned his voice through doing it. Uh, so it's something I don't wanna go away from. During the fasting, I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. Uh, my body, my mind, my my own desires is to eat something, and um, it's uncomfortable. Uh, but that's, I guess, what it's supposed to be. But it's a constant reminder of why I'm doing it is to rely on God and yield and submit. And there's a spiritualness to that where I'm constantly reminded because you know all day long your body reminds you that you're fasting and why you're fasting. I would definitely tell someone new that um, there's no right or wrong to it. You just have to start. It can be a fast from other things. It doesn't have to be food. Um, health issues cause me not to be able to fast all day long, but I can sure fast from sugar or I can fast from other things. The point of fasting is, is to realign us with God from those things that, that distract us. Satan throws everything out to distract us. And the whole point of Jesus is to be like him. And he fasted, so I wanna do it too. You know, fasting is associated with prayer and I do not believe that it's like bonus points where you can earn my prayer to jump in the front of the line versus somebody else who's not fasting. Uh, that's not what it's about. Um, God desires to hear from us. He wants to provide for us. He knows what we need before we even come to him, but he still wants to hear from us. And fasting is just a way of saying, I trust you and I'm gonna rely on you. It's not about me today, it's all about you. And uh, even though it, my body may reject that idea, spiritually it is so satisfying. I love the encouragement that they give. And as Stacy says, 
you know, Jesus fasted, so I want to too. And I think it's so important just, just to start. Don't start with a 40-day fast. <laughs> Don't start with a four-day fast. Start by skipping a meal. And use that time to intentionally pray, read scripture, and say to the Lord, God, you are more important. Do whatever you want to do in my life. There are two little things to meditate on um, here on the screen. One is, what role does fasting play in your life presently? And the second is, what changes need to be made to follow Jesus' example in teaching more faithfully? So I'm gonna leave those up on the screen for just the next few minutes. We have one more verse uh, to cover. And this verse is an incredible example of how fasting ushers in a profound intersection between the physical and the spiritual. Verse 11 says, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. I don't know what exactly that means. If angels came to just ward off Satan in the temptation or if, or if the angels literally came and brought him food, I don't know. But we see, anyone who fasts knows that there is this meeting of the physical and the spiritual. And unfortunately in the Western world, because of the enlightenment and the scientific revolution and all of this stuff, we've, we've been trained to j just know that the world is only real of what we see around us and what we can feel and what we can experience. So for Christians, if there is a spiritual world, we just, we disconnect to that so much. But it's more than just fasting. There are these times of the intersections between the physical and the spiritual. And when you fast, those, those physical groanings that come from your stomach, somehow they turn into groanings for God. And like Stacy said, it's like you don't even have to use words to communicate those groanings when you're fasting. Every week at the time of communion, we get to experience another intersection between the physical and the spiritual. What are the little physical elements <laughs> that we partake in? It's a small cracker and cheap grape juice, right? But it's so much more than that because when we sit down and we reflect, it's an invitation in a sincere call to repentance and to participate in God's death and resurrection through Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus did it. He withstood the tests of temptation. We saw when he was baptized that God claimed his authority in heaven when he came out of the waters by saying, this is my son. And throughout his whole life, he proved it. He didn't fall to Satan's temptation by saying, prove that you're the son of God and bow to me. I'm sure that happened over and over and over again, even till the death on the cross. We read in Matthew 27 where it says, mockers would go by and say, save yourself, Jesus. If you are the son of God, then come down off the cross. But he completed his mission for God. 
And then right before he enters into heaven again, after he died and was resurrected on the end of Matthew 2018, at the end of, book, of the book of Matthew, we see Jesus say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. So in the next few moments, we're gonna partake in this communion. There's those double stacked cups at the tables here in the front and in the back. Meditate on what Jesus has done for us. You can take communion whenever you're ready. The band's gonna close us out with a closing song. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are and that incredible example that you have given us, not just in fasting, but in just how you lived your life. God, we know that we have so much to learn, but Lord, I pray that you encourage us and as we start fasting, as we start trying to be more hospitable and serve and doing all these other things that we're talking about this year, Lord, would you please come and do whatever you want to do in our lives? Father, we love you, and we thank you for this word that you have given us. It's in your name that we pray, amen.
to invite you to stand with us now. We'll lift our voice together.
Well, I pray the words that Tom has shared with you, I pray that they spoke to your heart, that God spoke to you. I do want to invite each and every one of you this Wednesday night as an opportunity to kind of take that first step with the fasting and prayer. It's our first Wednesday night of the month where the church gathers at 6 p.m. Wednesday evening in this room, and we pray together for about 45 minutes. We would love to see each and every one of you. But for the rest of this time, have a great day, and we'll see you soon.